Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Sad news rolling across the wire as we start the podcast today. Tony Bennett has died at 96, one of the most ageless performers in the history of the country. Kept himself relevant through, what, eight decades, I guess. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Layla Tassi. There's news to talk about as we close out this week. Let's go. Our chief political writer, Andrew Tobias, looked at the political ramifications for Secretary of State Frank LaRose by throwing himself behind issue one, which would, of course, choke out the power of the voter in Ohio. It's a story that looks at all the angles. Laura, what does it tell us? Well, that LaRose is ensured he'll be at the center of this most heated political issue of the year, not just issue one, but the fight over abortion in Ohio, which is central to issue one. So he's been the poster child, basically, of issue one. He publicized it right after he got reelected. And he told Republicans in this dumb speech that issue one was 100 percent about abortion. He has since taken that out of his dumb speech. But it feels like he was using that to align himself with single issue, very conservative voters. And he's actually, this is a campaign about an issue, right? It's not a a race with people in it running for a position. But Frank LaRose is the face of this issue, which means he's been the face of the attack ads as well. Yeah, I think this was a huge miscalculation by LaRose and the Senate president, Matt Huffman. They, because they have these super majorities, they feel like Ohio is behind them in Mm -hmm. that kind of a fervor, but they're not. I mean, it's because of gerrymandering. It's a false supermajority. It doesn't reflect the state. The number of conservatives I'm hearing from who are voting against issue one just keeps going up. This is not what Ohio is about. Ohio is about fair play. But these guys are so drunk with power, they don't see the reality of it. Major miscalculation. What was interesting is in the story, you know, he's saying, I, I, I don't do things for political right. expedience. It's like, get the hell out of here. This was all about, you thought you were riding some ridiculous wave. And this is going to tarnish him if it goes down forevermore. Yeah, I really love that quote that he talked to Andrew Tobias about. He said, leaders have to step up and lead. And if you stick your finger in the wind to find out which way the wind's blowing, you're not going to be a very capable leader. I've done what I think is best. And that's why I've been helping to leave the charge on this. I don't think anyone is going to argue with that statement, right? But it's the double speak again. I mean, is he really doing this because he thinks it's what's best for Ohioans to take away the power of their vote? I mean, it it is nonsense on its face. And I have to think that he's, it feels like he is 
trying to position himself that if this goes down, he's going to be this crusading underdog that was trying to save the Constitution and it couldn't get it done. But that doesn't work if 70 percent or 60 percent of Ohio votes against this. Then then he's a crusader going against the wishes of the voters. And let's remind people, he says you know, he's this valiant crusader. He spent a year running for re-election last year, never and, once yeah. mentioned he was going to do this. Then days after he won, he announces, hey, I want to savage your vote and I'm going to try and sneak it by you. And, so I, I'm not buying that the, the, the crusader thing. I think he's trying to save face. I think the writing's on the wall. This yeah. is going down. It's looking more and more likely. And anybody that tag themselves to it is trying to come up with some talk line that won't be so bad but let's face it if you're behind this you're behind savaging the power of the voter and And that's not going away i am surprised that people like dave yost and robert sprague have their names behind it because these are guys that might have a political future but anybody who runs against them is going to say hey this guy tried to remove your vote he tried to destroy the power of your vote they still have time to rethink their position and renounce this idiotic idea, but they're going to be tagged with it forever. Right. And exactly. And Frank LaRose is running for Senate against two really deep pocketed Republicans. And then if he wins, he would be facing Sherrod Brown, who's longtime senator in this state. So I, and 59% of Ohioans in this latest uh, USA Today Suffolk University poll are against issue one. So yeah, I, I don't, this is going to be his legacy. Look, they counted on low turnout. That that was their sleazy plan. They had abolished the August elections. They counted on low turnout. We've done our part to make sure that doesn't happen. We have put this front and center for months to make sure everyone knows about it. Early turnout seems to show that's worked. So their whole idea is collapsing. And I'd love to be in the room, fly on the wall while they're talking about this because they so <laughs> erred in what they tried to do here. You're listening to Today in Ohio. This is getting into tinfoil hat territory. What did Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan, a Republican, and Robert F. Kennedy, a Democrat, talk about when they got together for Jordan's committee meeting on the weaponization of government or whatever it was? Lisa. Well, Jordan's the hearing yesterday was all about the government trying to censor people. So uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was Exhibit A. He testified in the hearing yesterday. He's a Democratic presidential candidate, an attorney, an activist, and founder of the Children's Health Defense, which is an anti-vaccination group. And he's been very vocal about his anti-vaccination stance. And he was questioned yesterday about recent comments that he made that COVID was engineered to attack certain ethnic groups while sparing Chinese and Ashkenazi Jews. And he actually cited a Cleveland Clinic study in the National Institutes of Health that found, quote, unique genetic susceptibility. So he built on that. Um, You know, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. claims that he's being attacked by multiple presidential administrations. He's being censored for malinformation and he's a victim of targeted propaganda to uh, discredit his presidential campaign. And Jordan provided examples of the censors, alleged censorship, including a White House request to remove an RFK tweet on uh, on vaccination. And, they, and he said there was nothing factually inaccurate about the tweet. He also gave a shout out to RFK's campaign manager, Dennis Kucinich, our former mayor and congressman and a presidential 
also ran. Uh, he called uh, Kucinich a Democrat, a good friend of mine, and a great Buckeye. It's amazing to me that Robert Kennedy is getting airtime. I mean, he's been out on the fringes forever, the anti-vaccine nutjob. And now he's he's gotten this credibility where people like Jordan are bringing him in. If you look at the history of Kennedy, everybody knows he's just out there with with wild conspiracy theories. The thing he said about about the the ethnic attack of the virus. I mean, it was immediately set upon and and fried. And it was so embarrassing for him. He tried to say, well, the media took it out of context. No, they didn't. They played the video of what he actually said. And there were people in Congress who care about doing the right thing, who care about the truth that said, please don't have him appear. We shouldn't be giving people like this a forum where they can spread their lunatic ideas. And of course, Jim Jordan said that would be censorship. No, it's doing the right thing by America to make sure America gets the truth, not wild conspiracy theories. But, you know, after the hearing, though, Jordan and Senator Rand Paul, the Republican from Kentucky, introduced the Free Speech Protection Act. It would ban executive branch employees and contractors from using their positions to censor or attack First Amendment protected speech. Penalties would include firing, loss of security clearance, and fines of $10,000 and up. And Jordan says that bureaucrats must be held accountable and we have to protect our vital First Amendment freedoms. Everything Jordan and the Trump contingent in the Republican Party is doing right now is aimed at tearing down democracy. So you do. You try to get people to not trust the truth. So you put up wild conspiracy theories about vaccines in front of everybody, sow doubts and make them question the truth. And then you launch a candidate who is the guy that will protect them. Trump put out some ad yesterday that basically threatens anybody who works against him and actually threatens violence against people if he gets back into office. This is what Jordan and company support. The, the Congress of old would never have put a, a show on like this. It's mm. not what Congress should be doing. It's embarrassing. And what's really embarrassing is Jordan's from Ohio, man. So it puts Ohio on the spotlight as championing lunatic theories. Sad day. And I do have to say, I did not know that uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is married to the actress Cheryl Hines. And I, I read a piece in Time recently, and they're saying, how are you going to handle this campaign? She says, I think I'm going to go to the Bahamas and invent a new kind of margarita that has Xanax in it. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Today in Ohio. You wonder what this one would cost. How does Senator J.D. Vance propose to shore up small regional banks against the kinds of runs they saw after the failure of Silicon Valley Bank. Layla, Vance keeps thrusting himself into the headlines. Yes, he does. He's he's introducing legislation that would provide unlimited federal deposit insurance to non-interest-bearing accounts at smaller banks. This is called the, the Payroll Account Guarantee Act, and it would help credit unions and small regional banks with less than $225 billion in assets compete better with the mega banks that get all the special treatment from federal regulators because they're so big. The idea is to, to prevent depositors from leaving small regional banks and flocking instead to the huge institutions that are considered too big to fail. Van says that when people do that, it benefits the coastal elite at the expense of the heartland. A handful of banks in Ohio would benefit from this legislation, including Key Bank here in Cleveland, Fifth, Fifth Third Bank in Cincinnati, and Huntington Bank in, in Columbus. 
Currently, the FDIC only insures individual accounts that have a balance of less than 250000 This legislation would erase that threshold and extend the insurance to larger accounts. But you're right, Chris, what's, what's the cost associated with that? Well, and he just says, well, I'll put the cost on the right. big banks, the ones that are too big to fail. It's like, well, you can't just throw around things like that. What, what's bothersome about it, though, is this wouldn't affect people. This is on non-interest-bearing accounts, which most people don't have non-interest-bearing accounts of, of that size. It's for companies' payroll accounts and things. I'm not quite sure why he is only seizing upon that. Was it, was it small employers that did the run on the banks after the failure of Silicon Valley Bank? Who's he trying to take care of? I'm here? not sure. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you're right. And I don't know, like small employers, I guess if you have you know, funds exceeding $250,000, uh, then you would fall into that category as a small employer. But yeah, it always feels with him that there is some ulterior motive that we have to unearth, <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah, there's a lot of questions with this one that are not answered, but, you know, he gets his name out there and we're talking about him. So it worked. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Reporter Molly Walsh talked to some transgender Ohioans and their families about what they will do as Ohio moves on legislation to limit their options. The transgender community is under siege across the country right now. Laura, what did they tell Molly? Basically, if these anti-trans measures pass, they're may have to leave Ohio. They would definitely have to give up some of the extracurricular activities that they love or go out of state for care for their kids. And and I mean, would you want to stay in a state that doesn't want you? And maybe that's the whole point of this, that we're just trying to, we as a state, I guess, or as a legislature is trying to get rid of people they don't agree with. So they pushed this wave of legislation that targets specifically trans youth. So last month, Ohio Republicans passed a bill that bans trans women and girls from participating in school sports. It bars gender-affirming health care for minors. Obviously, we talked earlier this week about the proposal from J.D. Vance in the Senate, um, the federal level, that would ban that. But it's not it, it does feel like a solution in search of a problem. In twenty Since 2015, 24 transgender females have been approved to participate in Ohio High School Athletic Association sports. 24 out of eight years, when nearly 400,000 student-athletes participate in sports from grades 7 through 12 every year. It seems like a lot of what's happening in Ohio is just going to drive people out of it. You know, yeah. Transgender people leave. Jerry Serino's bill will stop smart people from coming here. We got a takeout coming on that this weekend. It, it just doesn't seem like it's a good image when you're trying to attract employers. I wonder if it makes it hard for Intel to hire the workforce it needs when they open their huge plant down near Columbus. Yeah, you'd think so. And so Molly talked to these families, had interviews with them, talked to Ember Zelch. She's a graduating senior uh, from outside, from Northeast Ohio, actually. She's had this hormone therapy since her freshman year of high school. Every year she's wanted to play softball. She's not very good, she says, but she just loves to play. And her teammates have been supportive. Her school has been supportive. And it's like, if the team and the school is all on board with it, the Ohio High School Association has looked at her physical records and made sure it's okay. Like, Why, why does it bother somebody in the state house that they get to play. I mean, it's it's already a decision that's not automatic. It goes through a process and it's a school athletic process. Yeah, the Republican Party used to stand for local control, less right. big government, but that is not happening with the Republican Party in Ohio right now. 
they're taking huge control over everything. People it's such do. a shame that the, I mean, this is just one one facet of the culture war, and it's being fought over. I mean, there are this is a marginalized population that already endures so much, and they're such a small sliver. God, leave them alone. <laughs> and they're kids. Yeah. Like, let's point out these are kids. Yeah. And you're supposed, they're so worried about protecting kids. They won't let, um, you know, a man dress in drag and read to them. But, you know, like, like, it makes no sense. Yeah, but as we mentioned earlier this week, the, the fringe conservative elements of society are looking for something else that they can try to inflame people on. And this is what they've settled upon. So Fox News goes nuts on it. And you see the, the fringiest of fringe candidates using this every way they can to try and drum up support doesn't matter what damage it does as long as it's party, party over people. You're listening to Today in Ohio. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The death of Cleveland firefighter Johnny Tetrick in the line of duty as he handled the crash scene touched a lot of people in the region. Now the driver who crashed into him has been convicted not of manslaughter, but of murder. Lisa, what's the logic behind that? And a whole bunch of other charges as well. 41-year-old Leander Bissell faces a mandatory life sentence after being convicted for murder in the November 19th death of firefighter Johnny Tetrick, who was working an accident on I-90 East at MLK. Uh, this was not a jury trial. Bissell chose a judge trial instead of a jury trial. So common police court judge Timothy McCormick, you know, was the one who ran the trial and and rendered the verdict. He said he was skeptical at first of the murder charge. He thought it was a stretch. But after hearing testimony and seeing the video that was shown of of Bissell driving around traffic, um, it turned out to be the right indictment, he said. He also found Bissell guilty of involuntary manslaughter, felonious assault, aggravated vehicular homicide, failure to comply with a police order, and leaving the scene of an accident. Uh, this The sentencing will take place in McCormick's court on August 9th. And so the video that was showed during the trial, it showed that uh, traffic, you know, they were blocking off, you know, lanes already with police vehicles. Traffic was starting to slow down and stop. So he drove around the stop traffic, around a police blockade going about 50 miles an hour. Now his his attorneys argued that uh, the vehicles used to block traffic were not properly positioned. Bissell thought that the lane was open, so that's why he drove around. And they also equated to Tetrick and other first responders of jaywalking while they were working the scene. And so that didn't fly with prosecutors Carl Mazzone and Mike O'Malley. They scoffed at that defense argument and uh, they were, uh, they were, you know, they were pushing for the murder conviction and they got it. Yeah. The defense claims were ridiculous that they saw an open lane and that this is trespassing. That's just nonsense. This guy decided I'm better than everybody. I'm not waiting. And he tried to zoom around. But I, I can't but help but think this is going to get overturned on appeal. This is not what the murder count was designed for. 
Uh, it's just, I mean, they're using a bunch of technical aspects to say, oh, this fits the definition of murder. It fits the definition of aggravated vehicular manslaughter, voluntary manslaughter, but it's not murder. He was not seeking to kill anybody. His reckless acts caused the death. He should go to prison. He should be punished severely. But come on, murder? Well, but I think emotions run high. And I used to cover court trials and been to a few uh, cop killer trials. And emotions run high when first responders get hurt or killed. You I know, know but, but a judge is supposed to bring the the law to, to, to bear, but you know, they're elected. So I wonder if they figure yeah, I'll convict them, let it go to appeal. I just, I, I will see. It won't take that long. We'll see if the murder conviction makes it through appeal. He's not going to get out of prison anytime soon, even if they overthrow it. I just, I was a little taken aback to hear murder. Mm. Layla, you covered courts. Did that surprise you? Yeah. I mean, you? that's the thing is I was just thinking that that's probably exactly why he chose a bench trial because he was hoping to take the emotion out of this case and and was hoping that the the judge's sensibility would prevail here and it is it it was very shocking to read this story yeah i will see time will tell you're listening to today in ohio we're getting ever closer to a likely ups strike what might that mean to Cleveland business. And are we talking about some pandemic level supply chain issues? Yeah, the the 340,000 union members have voted to authorize a strike. The driver's contract expires July 31st and their negotiations are ongoing, but have been breaking down. Reporter Sean McDonald tells us this could be really painful, especially for small businesses that send and receive packages every day. UPS delivers about 35 to 40% of all parcels sent to the U.S. The definition of a parcel is a package between half a pound and 100 pounds. USPS and FedEx couldn't possibly take on that much extra shipping. And there's this trickle-down effect when businesses aren't receiving the supplies they need to make their products. It's, as you said, Chris, another supply chain breakdown, and we've become all too used to that. Other carriers will have to pick up the slack, but they do, but you know, we don't know, do they have that capacity? Buying more trucks doesn't make sense for them because the strike could be over in a day or it could last for weeks. The last strike 25 years ago lasted for 15 days and it really crippled delivery services. How much do you guys rely on UPS to deliver stuff that you need for your everyday lives? I'd say most of mine comes through the postal service. Or an Amazon delivery. Yeah, I rarely see a UPS truck roll up to my house. I think Amazon is probably what I rely on most. And it was interesting to see that in this story that they're going to be less affected by this because they've diversified their shipping enough using USPS and their own delivery service. So I guess that will be less painful for me. But (laughs) I, I mean, I don't know the full brunt of this because... I don't know how much I rely on products that are made by companies that will be relying on the parcel service. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I'm I'm betting there is a strike. These guys are still mad about the bad contract they got last time around and the way they've been treated because they were so valiant during the pandemic. Hopefully it won't be a long one. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Lieutenant Governor John Houston hosted an artificial intelligence forum this week at John Carroll University, and some of the more mind-blowing thoughts came from healthcare experts who talked about how AI will change the way they diagnose us all. 
Lisa, what are some of the highlights? Yeah, there's a panel of experts that gathered at John Carroll University on Wednesday to discuss the future of AI. There were healthcare experts, industry experts, and then Lieutenant Governor John Husted, the host. He said that embracing AI can improve education and government efficiency in state operations, also help with customer service and save taxpayer money. Um, UH radiologist Dr. Leo Bittencourt says that AI image detection algorithms are already helping to detect blood lung clots, fractures, and strokes. They were using traditional AI, but generative AI, which is more of a learning machine, he says there have been big advances that have helped them. Cleveland Clinic data science officer Rohit Chandra says the generative AI, as we said, is changing how new data is analyzed and crunched, and it also analyzes a variety of patterns to come to its conclusions about diseases and conditions and so forth. He said that it will free doctors from paperwork and save time and money. But a lot of people, and this is the big thing with with AI, you know, a lot of jobs will be lost to AI in the near future. And Panelists agreed that there are an explosion of new problems to solve with AI. Houston says that AI will create new kinds of jobs, though. He said AI will fill gaps in the workforce that's be- being created here in Ohio by a decreasing number of evident at- residents of working age in Ohio. He says, you know, AI is coming. We need to prepare people and governments for that future. Yeah, we should point out Houston supports issue one. The, uh, the more we talk about AI, the better. I think a lot of people are scared of it. There are a lot of people that are excited about it, but there's so many people that are just scared of it. And the more we talk about it, the more we think about guardrails, the better. This kind of forum is a great way to get people in, in a good state of mind. Right. And I think it, among those explosion of new problems are, are regulatory issues because AI can be used for evil as well as good. All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. That bike path parallel to Burke Lakefront Airport is looking more real. Layla, what's the latest step in the process, which could lead to construction starting next year? The county is is seeking public input on this plan to build a 2.7-mile connector path along the lakefront. As you said, it's going to run parallel with Burke, and it's going to stretch along North Marginal Road between East 9th Street and East 55th. It would connect downtown at Voinovich Park to the Cleveland Metro Parks Lakefront Reservation and Cleveland Lakefront Bikeway to the east. The Metro Parks would maintain the path. They they want to begin construction sometime after next June, and that would entail some road closures for about two months. So this is one of the projects that got funding from the Mandel Foundation very recently. Metro Parks received $5 million earmarked for this. So I'm sure that is what has really escalated the plans here. The county wants to hear from residents about potential social, environmental, or economic impacts of the project. They want to know about residents' concerns regarding how it might affect air quality, floodplains, historic or cultural resources. So if you have something to say about it, you can submit your thoughts to Project Manager Trevor Hunt by August 21st. We have all of his contact information on cleveland.com. It's a little bit strange, right? The, the rules are that anytime you do a project like this, you have to go through the public comment period. But a bike path doesn't create emissions, does it? And it's next to an airport. I have a hard time seeing how anybody is going to object to this. It's not going to be in front of their houses. It's just a bike path next to an airport. Yeah, right? it's probably just lip service. I wonder, though, if people would submit comments about how road closures would affect them. But that's such a temporary inconvenience that I can't imagine anyone would go through the trouble of making their voice heard on that. 
the good news is they're taking the step. It's a step in the process. It means we're moving forward. So this thing should be there in a couple of years. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Laura, you have worked as a ball girl for Tennis in the Land, I think twice. So you're getting this one. What will Pickle in the Land entail? And will they even have ball girls and ball boys so that you can go down and have more fun? So this is a three-day pickleball tournament that's going to feature more than a 1,000 competitors across 30 courts with $25,000 in prize money. But it's going to be in December at the Huntington Convention Center of Cleveland, so indoors. I don't actually know if they're going to have ball girls and ball boys. Oh, though you do have to, if you're if you're looking to do it tennis in the land, you got to be 14, but it's super fun and I've already signed up again. But uh <laughs> this one is not just for professionals unlike tennis in the land. So amateurs can play. I don't think they'll be getting ball girls and ball boys, but the professionals will have a bracket in this competition as well and there'll also be clinic opportunities for individuals, groups and company team building. And I'm sure they will ask for volunteers. They do for all of these really big events that they expect bring a lot of people to town. There's been a lot of debate about pickleball and whether it's really a sport that's good for you. (laughs) I was watching four people play just yesterday evening and they barely move. I mean, mean, the, the difference between pickleball and tennis could not be bigger so, it's like the difference between playing full court basketball and and playing horse you know it's just <laughs> not the same so i was actually playing tennis this morning with my my neighbor yeah and it's because you couldn't swim in the sewage infested lake oh, right? i swam first in the pool and then i played tennis anyway point being a woman who's like was a pickleballer is going to play on the middle court walked right behind me in the middle of a point and like totally threw me off so if you're walking on tennis courts wait till the point is done and then walk on the edge. Do not walk like right next to me on a court. I'm afraid I'm going to hit you. So they don't have any of the Wimbledon etiquette in pickleball either. The, Just the stories though that have been most hilarious are about the noise of the pickleball courts and the yeah. people thwack, who... Thwack, and, thwack. and I've I've read some stories that have talked about companies that have, have been created that are like pickleball noise mitigation experts. What? Yes, I I'll send it. you guys oh, that, the stories. I don't... I don't really but understand why so the noise funny. is that annoying. But if I you guess live right next to it, no, yeah. there is an article in I think New York Magazine about people in Rochester that was driving them insane because it's pock pock yeah. pock, and and if if that's going on for ten hours a day, that would drive me nuts. Well, what's hilarious is they have rackets and they have balls that don't make that noise, but the pickleballers love the thwack, 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 so they won't use them. And so people are moving away from parks because it's so I wonder if you have to disclose that here. (laughs) It's one of your disclosures. I, uh, I, just, I just watched it and I thought, you know, I used to play a lot of tennis. I had to stop because I injured my knee. And I, I, I've looked at pickleball. Is that a way to get back into it? Well, if you don't move your legs, I guess so. You know. It's, <laughs> <laughs> but hey, they have really cool pickleball like collaborations with companies that you can get like matching outfits to your pickleball paddle or like gray mail-in like photograph pickleball paddles. And I mean, the, right, so it's on question, point. The style is on point for pickleball. So my question today is, if I go out and look at pickleball courts today, is it going to be all pink in celebration of <laughs> Barbie. the Barbie, Barbie movie? The movie. <laughs> Seems like every woman I know is dressing in pink this week. For the I got to say, I did watch the HGTV show um, 
it's on Max right now of how to create like a Barbie dream house. Like they have competitions turning a regular house into a Barbie dream house. And it was fascinating. Lauren, I think you uh-huh. need to embark upon this and uh-huh. <laughs> I need That's another renovation column and project. <laughs> okay, then. That's it for the Friday episode. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Layla. Thank you for listening. We'll be back on Monday. <laughs>